back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back to the past and read some comics from the yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us every Sunday on the Weird Science, or every other Sunday, sorry, on the Weird Science DC Comics podcast feed. And you, you can also get that on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and from the comms radio in your thigh pouch. And that's a little hint of what book we're going to read this time around, right, Chris? Yes, we gotta we gotta specify which thigh pouch, though. I think. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there might be a few. <laughs> today we are going to discuss the book that launched the Image Comics universe, uh, Young Blood Number One, from April 1992. But as we are known to do, we're gonna do a little bit of background before we get yeah, into the book. There's really only one main guy to talk about, though, up front. So. Who's that? <laughs> I think it's a gentleman. People might have heard of him by the name of Rob Liefeld. I, I don't know that anybody's heard of him, so we're going to have to go real deep on this one. Right. Uh, Rob Liefeld, born October 3rd, 1967. He grew up in Anaheim, California. Uh, he was a comic book fan from a young age. Uh, he tells stories about his parents really disliking the hobby, and they would even go as far as tossing his comics that he bought. Uh, so he'd be going around his house looking for his comics, and uh, he would not find them because his mom and dad tossed them. Brand new comics? I mean, they must have thought it was demon's work or something. like. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, you know, I panic, panic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Otherwise, they're just really mean people. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like uh, none of that Spider-Man in my house. Really? Uh, <laughs> now, he decided he wanted to pursue comics as a career, but he promised his parents that he would finish, get this, high school first. Not <laughs> he would finish high school. Oh, boy. Uh, at the time, he... Uh, he cited his favorite artists as John Byrne, Frank Miller, and George Perez. So basically, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the pages that he does in sort of homage are the people that he looked up to. Absolutely, yeah. Group shots and like yeah. very very stern brows from John Byrne. The group shots mm-hmm. from Perez. Yeah, you can definitely see it. Absolutely. Uh, he says that he was turned on to the work of uh, Jack Kirby and Neil Adams, which kind of tells you which you know what era Rob came up in. He yeah. came in during the early 80s where, you know, uh, the time of Kirby and Adams, while still important, they, they really weren't at the forefront at that point. Yeah, I would guess um, 78, 79, he probably started probably. getting his comics, yeah. Yeah, because what, what, he was born, what, 67? So yeah, 10 years old, sure. Right. Um, now, following high school, he worked odd jobs and uh, took anatomy classes at the community <laughs> college to uh, learn how the body moves. Wow. Uh, <laughs> And this is why we need more college funding, people. This is why we need more (laughs) money in education. But anyway. (laughs) Now, uh, he decided that he would pitch his work at a convention in not so nearby San Francisco. It was a a long, long drive from Anaheim. Uh, What he had had put together was a 10-page sequential art story featuring his own characters. Uh, He decided on the way up he was only going to pitch to the smaller companies, basically anyone who wasn't Marvel or DC. As luck would have it, Marvel and DC were the only ones interested in what he had to, what he was selling there. Uh, Dick Giordano at DC requested he send more samples, and Mark Runewald at Marvel offered Rob an eight-page story on the spot. He's like, "Hey, you want to work here? Take this story and and draw." Uh, I mean, well, your head might, your head must be spinning at that point because that's really, that imagine? really is a dream come true, and and the the 
sad thing is that this is one of, you know got to be one of the rarest stories in comics you know usually yeah. it's it's knocking your head against a wall for 10 years before you get a break but absolutely and, yeah. to, and to hear rob tell it it's uh you know it's so hard to hate the guy because he he just he does have a intrinsic love of comics he really does you know, yeah this it's isn't true. the stepping stone to movies or tv this is he loves comic books it's, so yeah. it's it's hard to hate him um and hearing him tell a story about mark grunewald is like okay that that's pretty cool um, the story was a Black Panther story, which Rob never completed. Um, the story goes. Well, it was Google... eight pages long. I mean, <laughs> this is true. To be fair, it was an eight page. Um, now the story goes that Grunewald was handing this script out to uh, a couple of uh, prospective uh, talent during this uh, convention, and another fella or person got it completed first, or actually did complete it. Right. So, <laughs> um. His first actual published work was a was a mini series for DC called Hawk and Dove. Uh, came out cover date October eighty eight for the first issue. Uh, There's is a five issue series Rob did while biding his time waiting for Marvel to reach out. Uh, one of the stories about this is that the fifth issue he drew completely on its side. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, I've, because, I've I have yeah. Because well, they were in like a parallel dimension, and I guess the editor had to actually physically cut every panel out to put it right side up. Oh, really? He, he like he yeah. switched it, so he he uh, he tried to slip it through. But yeah, I've I've heard that too. Uh, actually, I, I think I've seen printings of it like that. Maybe maybe I've seen reprints or something like that, or it was well, situated like that on the internet. Yeah, he would eventually do that in an issue of. X-Force, uh, X-Force number six that featured Spider-Man. The whole thing is on its side. That's so annoying. And I mean, now you do see it still. I mean, you see it in a lot of comics now, you know? Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not so common, and there's a reason for it. It's, no. just, it's just annoying as hell to read a comic that way. To turn the book and everything. But, but it, his, uh, his, his work on Hawk and Dove, it, really, he, it was almost an updating, too, because they hadn't really been on the scene for a little while, I think. Yeah. For, and so he kind of brought Since them back the in for yeah. good or ill. And uh and it doesn't look half bad, but a lot of people say that uh, Carl Kiesel's inks uh, did a lot to yeah, rein him in. Did the heavy lifting, I could see that. Yeah. But uh, the editor, or maybe it was Kiesel himself, said that uh, they'd never seen an entire book done on the side. So uh, this is something that Rob uh, contributed wow. to the craft. Bless, bless <laughs> his heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, eventually, he got his first Marvel work, and it was uh, a story in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 23 in 1989. Uh, from there, he would begin doing fill-in work on various X-Men titles. Uh, he was ultimately offered his first full-time gig by uh, taking over the New Mutants, uh, uh, which he would arrive on uh, issue number 86. I think he took over for Brett Blevins, who had kind of overstayed his welcome at this oh, point. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the next issue, which issue 87, is where he introduced Cable. Uh, Eleven issues later, Deadpool shows up. And uh, Rob takes over as the main creative force behind the title, which squeezed Wee's Simonson off the book. So he's inking his own thing now, right? He's yeah. plotting too. Oh, he's doing. Oh, he's doing everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, they brought in Fabian Niciesa to do the uh, scripts, but uh, the whole kit and caboodle outside of that was Rob. I think it said in the uh, in the credits for X Force Number One, it said like everything by Rob Liefeld except script. Wow, like it was actually written that way. What a jerk. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to editorialize. But the editorializing comes later. Yeah, it's supposed to it's supposed to come later, but I couldn't I couldn't let that out. Fish in the I had to let that out. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I remember this New Mutants run, though. And actually, I remember reading a little bit before that. I did like the concept, but hmm. uh, it was definitely a stunning change, everybody. You know, when suddenly comics looked a lot different than they had looked the month before, and it, it was pervasive through the industry. That um, was exciting. It was. It was definitely something Something was anew. But uh, yes, he uh, New Mutants it drew to a close with issue 100, and that led into X-Force number one. X-Force number one came polybagged as per... Routine of the time with one of five trading cards, cover price $1.50. This sold over 5 million copies. This was the top, the top selling book of 1991, and at that point, the highest selling comic book of all time. Uh, he was on a show, the, the second episode of a show called The Comic Book Greats. This was a VA, series of VHS tapes. I wonder how many came out. I've only ever seen a few on YouTube, but uh, yeah. this, these came out from Starbur Home Video, hosted by Stan Lee. And on this show, he would, uh, you know, essentially just interview comic book greats. There's a two-part episode on YouTube with Bill, Bob Kane. Mm -hmm. And is this the one where, where Kirby calls in, right? Something like this, or is that he's on I a radio so. show? Uh, that might have been the radio show, yeah. Yeah, um, but another one, uh, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee are on the show, I think, right? It's uh, Todd McFarlane. Or Todd McFarlane, that's yeah. what it is. So, uh, And on that show, uh, he draws the character of Die Hard that he would use later in image work. Uh, this video was released right around this time that X-Force had debuted. Uh, now, the Malibu deal. Rob was among a group of artists who were rumored to have had a standing offer to publish pretty much anything they wanted through Malibu Comics. In the, in the Comics Buyer's Guide, Rob and Malibu ran an ad uh, in one issue that about his upcoming title, the X-Cutioners. Mm. Uh, you might... <laughs> this is... Really smacks a little bit close to Marvel's X-Men, so they didn't really enjoy that too much, and Bob Harris reportedly threatened to fire Bob outright and involve Marvel's lawyers as well, if he proceeded with that. Now, at, at American Entertainment, uh, an item ran in the, in the ads for American, uh, sorry, in American Entertainment ads, that they were ubiquitous presence in Marvel publications, and this was for Youngblood, a hot new team of mutant heroes created, written, and drawn by Rob Liefeld. Now these are added. This is in Marvel Comics. You're talking about, right? Yeah, these are these, ads. Uh, the, these are ads that ran. Uh, they might have run in, in across the uh, the industry, but I, I remember seeing them in Marvel books every issue. I mean, it would be either a full page or two full pages. It's like you know, that's a competitor essentially, as we're going to find out. Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, very interesting. You you wouldn't see that today, is all I'm saying. No. I don't think maybe maybe you'll see something for an IDW collection of Batman in a Batman comic. In a Batman nothing, book, yeah. Nothing else like that, but. Uh, then, uh, this is just going to be in brief, but then uh, Rob Lifa was part of a group of artists that launched Image Comics in 1992, Two. am I right? right? And they, mm -hmm. they did their first thing in three. Um, they left Marvel. Jim Lee was there, Todd McFarlane, uh, Mark Silvestri. There were, am I missing anybody? Eric Larson. Eric Larson. There you go. Will Spertasio. That's who I always forget is Will Spertasio, because I'm a... <laughs> Everyone oh, does. Always got to forget one guy, but... Uh, <laughs> And they started their own publishing and print, and this was Image Comics. This, was, uh, this would afford them creative control of their rights for their own properties, and most importantly, all of the financial benefits that you reap from those properties would go to the people that created them. And then, of course, famously, Rob Liefeld was in a Levi's 501 commercial. Mm -hmm. This was during the, uh, an ad campaign, which to show people that have unique jobs. And the idea was... You wear your 501s while you run, while you jam, while you slam, whatever it is. You know, you fill in the blank, <laughs> bungee jump, draw comics, milk the cow, you know what I mean? Uh, whatever you like to do, shoot fireworks. 
Yep. So Rob actually called the eight, the one eight hundred number, the soliciting people to call up with their unique jobs, and left a forty five second message describing a situation. This ad was directed by Spike Lee, and in there mm -hmm. he actually draws Spike Man. He uh, yes, <laughs> as, as Chris very cleverly put it here, he did the right thing. Yes. Huh. <laughs> Huh? Anyway, some people will get that. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not the younger listeners. Yeah, that's right. There, there is a joke. <laughs> if there in there. Are Take any. our word for it. But uh, yeah, yes, he drew Spike us. Man, which was like, and then at the end, uh, Rob doesn't even like you're supposed to say, you know, is your fly button, and you're supposed to say, you know, yeah, my fly is buttoned or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, am I doing it right? Anyway, you can see it. You can see this on uh, the Maybe internet. Maybe we'll include it. We might want to. We might want to take. A, you know, this is going to be a little bit on the long side, so we might take a break and and throw it yes. in here. But uh, if not, definitely uh, you'll take a look. I'll put it in the uh, show we'll notes, regardless. Now, uh, before we get into Youngblood proper, we're going to talk about Youngblood's secret origin. And I'm going to do something very tacky and kind of quote myself from a piece I did for Weird Science a few months ago. All right. Um, now, one of Rob's favorite comics properties growing up was the new Teen Titans. Uh, he was even part of a Titans fan writers association called T-Talk, along with uh, a fellow who we're going to meet in a little while named Hank Canals. Um Rob put together a pitch at DC Comics for a new Titans spinoff, which may or may not have been called Titan's Force. Hmm. I can real. see it now, I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> wow. Now, the team would be set up and led by Speedy slash Arsenal, whatever he was known as at the time. I think he was still Speedy, officially. Um, it would be viewed, they would be viewed by the public as celebrities, and they would work under the United States government. Uh, the pitch was either rejected outright or just not accepted quick enough for Rob's uh, liking. Uh, Dick Giordano's take was that they just couldn't make the numbers work on the deal. Uh, Marv Wolfman was uh, long associated with this project in the role of co-writer or co-plotter, maybe, though he has repeatedly denied <laughs> any involvement. He's <laughs> he just not, he's not saying, he's not telling whatever he did, if he did anything, yeah. Yes. Now, uh, Rob was such a big Titans fan that he was actually invited to the wedding of Donna Troy and Terry Long. Wow. <laughs> in, uh, yeah, in Tales of the Teen Titans number 50 from February 1985, his name appears in the guest book, in, in the guest book for the... Uh, for the event. Mm. Uh, his likeness would have appeared in the book, too, had he mailed George Perez a photo in time. Oh, Liefeld is quoted as saying, see, I've always been late. Deadline challenged, even as a kid. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> At least well, he's got a of sense humor. of humor yeah. about it. It gets you have to. Yes. Uh, now, uh, the pitch for Titans Force ultimately became Youngblood. Uh, he gave an interview a few years ago to Newsarama, which gave the goods here. He says, Shaft was in, was intended to be speedy. Vogue was the new Harlequin, Joker's daughter, design. Combat was a Kundian warrior circa the Legion of Superheroes. Ditto for Photon. And Die Hard was a Star's lab, Star Labs android. I forgot who Chapel was supposed to be, but I'm sure it would have rocked. But, you know, Bad Rock is so clearly a thing ripoff. Uh, he was just going to be a thing, a ripoff of Maybe the Maybe he thing. was Block from the Legion. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't <All> right. know. <laughs> he could have been Bouncing Boy, maybe. It just kind of tweaked him up. Anyway, let's dive right in to Youngblood yes. number one. This is an Image Comics presentation for Malibu Comics. Creator, plot, pencils, and inks by Rob Liefeld. Dialogue, the current senior vice president of Vertigo and integrated publishing at DC, Hank Canals. We're going to hear just a little bit about him after the comic. Color design, Brian Murray. Color separations, digital chameleon. Editor, I don't happen to see a name there. It's uh, oh. interesting. I, I guess <laughs> some people don't need editing. Is that the idea? 
I think uh, maybe. Co- cover date April 1992. On sale date was April 17, 1992. Cover price is 250 in the U.S., three dollars Canadian, and five dollars in Saville, New York. Isn't that right, Chris? Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is a story that I told before on uh, on the main show. But uh, me and a friend of mine were very excited about this book coming out because it was a quote-unquote new mutant title. <laughs> we figured it was taking the place of the new mutants. It was going to be, uh, you know, young, the, the kid version of the X-Men, basically. Didn't realize that it wasn't coming out through Marvel because it was advertised in Marvel books. Um, we went up there to the store the day of release, and it has a $2.50 cover price. However, at our store, it was pinned to the wall, bagged and boarded for $5. Oh, cheap. That's all. Yes. <laughs> and when we asked why, the man behind the counter said, It's Rob Leefield, man. There you go. That's good enough. That's worth doubling the cover price on the Isn't day it? of release. <laughs> uh, and then, as you, know, as you said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you, know, you, you, you didn't buy it, but your friend wanted no. to, but he only brought 250 with him, so you yep. walked... Three miles back home and then back to <laughs> yes. the store uh, with a lot of change, too, I think you said, right? <laughs> yes, and it he was a lot of change. And didn't even get the one on the wall. He gave him one from behind the counter. So this was no uh, bag, such, no a, board. such a different time in comics, you know, when, when, when you know, people talk about the gatekeepers and how these uh, comics retailers can be, you know, jerks. You don't yeah. see that as much anymore, I don't think, you know, because I think that these guys need really need people in every, there. They want every penny in your pocket they'll, now. They'll sell you, they'll sell you Pokemon cards and Sonic comic books and look, kids. smile yeah. while doing it. They will love it. Yeah, whatever you want. You know, they got fun, they got a wall of Funko Pops. Back then, they would they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have stood for that. That's all I'm saying. No. Um, I think you could buy the lunch off of a off of a comic book store owner right now. It's pretty like, much. I like that sandwich. Okay, yeah. three dollars. All right, I only took one bite. You got it. <laughs> How many variant covers do you have? <laughs> um, the front cover of this book promises this is to be the first exciting issue, while the back mm-hmm. cover says it's the first explosive issue. Back cover, huh? Hmm. We might find out is. about that later on. Now, inside this comic, there were a pair of trading cards, uh, basically. Just some non-perforated card stock. Not sure if the cards included are the same across the board. Chris's copy had a Vogue and Shaft card. They're both trademarked, those names. Yes. Uh, this makes the book look ridiculously uncomfortable to attempt to hold or dare say read. It's just a warning. They're kind of like they slip out, right? Or they're... Uh... No, I think maybe they were trying to warn not to read the book. It's oh, like, I see. Hey, you can't hold this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Put it down now. You're already you're already experiencing difficulties. <laughs> You've got the value. You're good. Uh, I guess on Vogue's card it says, "Under Vogue's patriotic and independent skin beats the heart of a Russian defector." Deep, huh? Wow. Uh, now, if you're hoping that this very issue contains the first appearance of Vogue and or Shaft, you're in for a disappointment. Mm. Their listed first appearances is in uh, Extreme: The Art of Rob Liefeld, February 1992. Though the Youngblood team's first appearance is usually accepted as being a backup feature in Megaton Explosion from 1987, uh, number one, it's uh, June of of 1987, and that book currently fetches some relatively high dollars online. Is that a Marvel book? No, no, Megaton was an independent. Gotta be a Malibu or something, I'm guessing. I think it was like Proto-Malibu. Oh, okay. It's even a Pacific, perhaps? We don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I also like the fact these characters actually then debuted in a, you know, self-promoting... In an art book. <laughs> art book yeah. for himself. It's like, oh, you couldn't hold back until the damn comic came out, but anyway. Now, <laughs> on the inside front cover, we're introduced to the Youngblood home team, and we're going to use this introductory pieces from the official 
Young Youngblood screenplay. That's right. There is a Youngblood screenplay, and yes. it was written this year, 2016, folks. Yeah. Um, you have to be. You have to join his mailing list, right, to get it. You have to join his uh, his newsletter uh, list, yeah. Yeah, which we which we but we've now taken a look at this script, folks, and I gotta say <laughs> it it might be worth it might be worth some spam emails because it's pretty intense. So this is this is taken from the screenplay literally, so we can really get inside the mind of of these characters. Uh, there's uh, Bedrock, which sadly is not in the screenplay. Uh, Combat is also not in the screenplay, but doesn't matter though. He's not really in the story. We'll meet him eventually. And uh, he'll look almost completely different than he does as in this team portrait that's on the inside cover. Yes. Uh, so, so something changed radically. <laughs> anyway, um, now we got, we got Chapel next. Chapel's. <laughs> this is great. This is Chapel's introductory. This is uh, verbatim uh, too. The, okay, yes. This is Chris. Neither Chris nor I wrote this. As I need to no. say this. I. <laughs> <laughs> this is a. Uh, this is copyright and trademark 2016 Rob Liefeld. Chapel, big black. Totally ripped, a complete badass. A skull motif is worn as war paint on his face. He is haunting and lethal. He wears combat gear, a heavily armored vest and pants. He is the living arsenal of the Young Blood squad. Guns and knives adorn every inch of his outfit. Oh, wow. He is enhanced with extreme super strength and endurance. The ultimate no nonsense super soldier. And and as a side here, uh, he was also revealed to be the killer of Al Simmons slash Spawn, um, but this was all changed once the Spawn motion picture hit because of our rights issues and uh, probably Todd hating Rob at that point. Yeah, probably, uh, and also Spawn being a lot more lucrative than Youngblood is uh, Just a has bit. been to this point. Uh, <laughs> next next up, we got Vogue. This is the one that was supposed to be Joker's daughter. Yes, um, a beautiful killer. Gorgeous female with a supermodel's cheekbones and sleek figure. Her face is covered in chalk white makeup except for purple lips and eye tattoos. Her spiky hair is piled up behind a purple headband. Her silver body armor is sleek and hugs her ample curves. She is the resident stealth ninja of Youngblood. She moves as a whisper, utilizing knives and throwing stars as her and throwing stars as her weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. And and I had to I had to fix a few spelling uh, errors in this part. Oh, okay. I, I did not I did not take out the extra apostrophes though. I left all the he loves apostrophes. I left them all in there. And 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 you did a good job keeping the capital, you know, yes, the I, emphasis I, words. Or... The, the emphasis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now uh, we're gonna go to Die Hard, uh, the resident mystery man of the Young Blood Squad. His face is concealed behind a gray leather mask with a dark black stripe down the middle. Wait, wait, wait. dark black. I yes, mean, how black, black? I mean, black is as, isn't that as dark as it gets? <laughs> Not that. This is this is darker than this that. This is even darker than black. Okay, fine. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, continuing, steel coils are wrapped around his shoulders, connected by a heavy strap across his chest. He is a large, imposing figure, easily the most physically commanding member of the Young Blood program. His face and body have never been revealed. He is thought to be a product of cyborg technology, if not entirely in automation. No one knows for certain. And as an aside here, in this book, nobody knows whether his name is spelled die space hard, die hyphen hard, or just die hard. Yeah. Because we get all of it. It's done every way. And to be honest, we're not even sure if maybe his name is pronounced D hard. It might there's be. No, there's nothing to say. 
Now here comes the uh, the baddest Emmer effer in the whole comic. We got Shaft, <laughs> but I'm not talking about that Shaft, folks. We're talking Watch about Watch your it. mouth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Shaft sadly doesn't get an extreme write up in the in the screenplay, despite essentially being the star of the whole thing. But his introduction reads as follows. Jeff is 30-ish, 6 feet tall, lean, athletic build, sandy brown hair. Uh, and in the book, it looks like a bowl of noodles kind of coming out of the uh, top does. of it. Um, it can't even stick to their own source material, though. He's a ginger. His hair is, is clearly, you know, orange red. or red in, yeah. the, in the book. So they, I guess... I guess they're going to tailor it. They're, you know, they have to make it more populous. You know how people feel about gingers these days, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> okay, now we get into the main event of the evening or morning or afternoon or whenever you're listening to this. We've got Youngblood number one. We open with Shaft, who is also known as Jeff, and his girlfriend, Shelly. They're out shopping during a, a, their lunch hour. We start with a random passerby saying, I'm actually shopping on my lunch hour with my boyfriend? Unbelievable. Believe it, Shelly. I told the guys back at the office that the paperwork would have to wait. Uh, I think these word balloons might be aimed at the wrong people. Yeah, this is some. This is really some way to launch the Image Universe, you know? This is a, a, a clear error right away, the first page. <laughs> first page, second mm-hmm. panel. We have... We have... We have voice balloons going to passerbys rather than the characters who are starring in this, yeah. in this scene. Um, now, Shaft laments the fact that his job comes with so much paperwork. The sadness is clearly visible in his black, soulless <laughs> eye holes. <laughs> we also learn here that Shelly is the assistant DA. And Shelly says, you nail him and we jail him. Now, suddenly, mall security is alerted to uh, a running black man. Hmm. Without, you know, without needing any kind of provocation, Shaft decides to take matters into his own hands and tackles up your poor young man on the escalator. He says, hey, buddy, what's your hurry? Tis the season for giving, not stealing. So uh, I don't see any decorations in this mall. Uh, is it Christmas time right now? I don't think I don't think it is. <laughs> why, why is this? What, is, what other giving season is this? Uh... This is a young blood tradition. I don't know. I never heard of this. Yes, it's it's Malibu Day. All right. <laughs> now it turns out that the this was a ploy all along by the real threat. Another fellow with life filled in broccoli florette hair appears on an upper level and has his sights set on Shaft. He is a sniper. Shaft, an expert archer, although we probably would not know that at this point. Uh, no he, he is holding a bow and arrow on the cover. You know, in well, he's way. holding he's. There's no string on it, though. No, uh, as is common in these. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, he uh, he notes that he doesn't have his us- usual arsenal of weaponry, and he's going to have to improvise. He utters one of my favorite lines in the entire history of comics. No arrows. This pen will have to do. And even creepily, this is these are like the two word balloons in the entire comic, some of the rarest moments where they're are no exclamation points. He's just saying it casually, yes. you know. It's just <laughs> matter-of-factly. This would warrant it. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, uh, you know. No arrows. That's all I have to do. He's sort of doing yeah. it very blithely. It's kind of weird. <laughs> now, and so, Shaft throws a ballpoint pen at the would-be sniper, who is perhaps even more confused as than we are at this point. What the? How? No arrows. 
The sniper falls from the upper level and lands on the edge of a mall fountain, landing in a way that is not possible for him to land. No, pretty much. From the way he fell. (laughs) His head is submerged and his feet are off panel. Well, you know, that's how it has to be. But yeah, he's just sort of like, I can't even explain it. Like, why would he be just hanging off the end of that wall? It's very strange. Yeah, he must have like done like a like a magnificent like flip. Like he he should be in the Olympics. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think uh, Shaft ended a uh, an Olympic hopeful's career here. Um, now Shaft is shocked, shocked at what just went down. All right, not really. <laughs> Chef goes, <laughs> glad this pen is good for more than just signing autographs. This pen, there's just the one pen. This is his. Yes, that's, that's his uh, arrow his pen. pen. Right, yes. and his autograph pen. He's got other pens for other things. You know, he's got a you know pen for scoring golf and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Shaft closes his dead eyes and holds his left hand out, which is bent in such a way that it really could not possibly be attached to his arm. It's almost like at the end of his arm is a piece of paper cut in the shape of a hand, uh, and somehow knows that his would-be assailant has no ID or a pulse just by waving his hand over him. Is this one of his superpowers? Probably. I, I guess okay. so. You know, it seems like if he's got any, here's one of them. Just we'll take wave, it. Wave your hand. That's a real quick search. Within <laughs> seconds, the media is swarming. Seriously, just cameras, microphones that look like tiny tinfoil wrapped burritos. They're just swarming the place instantly. This is, I don't think, even four seconds after this happened. Yes. Shaft goes, the press, the body isn't even cold. Yeah, but I mean, you just killed a guy in front of everybody in a mall. Of, you know what I mean? Like, this is definitely something to cover, something people should be looking at. And there's also that bit about him tackling just some poor black dude just because of the color of his skin. And again, to accuse him of stealing, you know? I mean, it's it's like the, he's getting it from all angles now. This is what it is to be to be famous, folks. It really is a curse. Uh, now, but now we see some uh, news segments. Mike Michael Gibson, ace reporter of SNN. Which must be what stupid news network, or possibly Shaft News Network. I'd like to think that's true. That'd be nice. That's true. He offers Shaft a tinfoil covered burrito, uh, actually a microphone to Shaft's face, and uh, provides us with a bit of exposition. Apparently, Youngblood, which if not for the title of this comic, I don't think we'd know what the hell he was even talking about. He just yeah. starts talking blithely about Youngblood. Uh, are currently overseas dealing with quote the crisis unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaft, who is not ready to make a statement, starts giving one anyway. That is, until he, by the way his body's contorted, has to use the bathroom. Like, really bad. Like, he is, uh, his, yeah. he looks bunched up. Yeah. He looks bad down, you know, it's, things are looking tight down there. Um, he tells Mike to call the office and runs off, his lower body melding into a mass of speed lines and hash marks, and... His foot sort of turning into what looks like a uh, loaf of bread or something down there at the end. That 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 has to be one of his superpowers, right? Well, would you think they call him Breadfoot then? Uh, you know, that that would be <laughs> make a lot more sense. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe he'll use it later on. Maybe. Now we shift scenes to a suburban Baltimore home. <laughs> this must be Yancey Street because it's the home of the thing. That's Bedrock. No, no, Bedrock. That's where the Flintstones live. This is Baltimore. It says right right there the caption. No, no, the, the character is Bedrock. I never heard of him. Uh, they change his name to Badrock pretty soon. Oh, Badrock. Yeah, I know who Badrock is. Sure, yeah. why didn't you say that in the first... The infamous and famous Badrock. We love the guy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and so anyway, for now, Bedrock is eating what appears to be green slime from an oversized bowl. Uh, this is a meal lovingly... And, and by the way, he's basically a big man made of smooth rock. 
Yes. Is that a good way to put it? His head looks like a circle. Yeah, because it's you don't want to you don't want to make him craggy. That that's mm, a lot of work. All that work, you know, trying to make him all yeah. It would interfere rocky with looking. the speed lines and the, <laughs> the for sure. Uh, this is a meal lovingly prepared by his mother. Uh, despite him looking like a giant rock, though uh, his his mom is looks perfectly human and has a very modern haircut in a panel uh, that we see. Uh, and inside bedrock beats the heart of a young boy, Thomas John McCall. Mm, depth. Yeah, very deep. It's like, will he ever break free? Probably not, as we'll find. <laughs> no. but we'll see. Uh, his young blood Eep Beeper goes off, and he runs off to headquarters, but not before finishing his milk, because he's a good boy. He is a good boy. Now, uh, we shift again to what looks like a 1990s version of the Han Solo carbonite chamber made out of Legos. Uh, inside is a more patriotic Deadpool. Yep. <laughs> God. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he created Deadpool. You know that, right? I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, maybe. He brings that yeah. up now and again. <laughs> every, every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Now, without even opening his eyes, he knows that he's needed. This is Die Hard, not that his introduction would bother introducing him. <laughs> <laughs> From here, we go to a very special scene. We meet Chapel. I think we're just going to read this bit line by line. Okay, so the, the, the caption tells us, Arlington, Virginia, above ground, which is one word, 1.11 p.m., another night, another love. Chapel, my man. Chapel is in bed, laying like a badass, with a lady slumbering at his side. Yeah, and his like shoulders just way up behind his head. He's just chilling. Her hand, by the mm -hmm. way, looks like looks like she may not have a hand, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. It was just getting in the way. Just because she's you can be handicapped and still make love to Chapel. <laughs> He's not that kind. So the caption then reads: "Young blood membership has its privileges." This uh, train of thought is interrupted by the eat beeper. <laughs> Chapel says. Wake up, babe. Duty calls. Another five more minutes. Chapel then sits up, and he's quite naked. I think maybe it looks like he. It, it almost looks like he's wearing a pair of shorts on one leg. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, 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 very, it's very very strange, and it's <laughs> the whole scene is so un unbelievably uncomfortable. Uh, I think reading tentacle porn is more is less embarrassing than this. This is really I'd rather yeah. just see full on pornography than this sort of teasing thing. If someone um, sees you in the subway reading this, it... <laughs> I would definitely I would definitely be holding it like close to my chest. It would look yes. weird. Uh, Chapel says, "No promises. Leave your number. You know the way out." Ice cold. Now in the very very next panel, Chapel is in his full gear. With a skull painted on his face, and he's holding a, a Mark 69 Liefeldian <laughs> firearm. The very next panel. I mean, this the is such a complicated costume he has to put on. He's just bang. Yes, and, and his poor amputee girlfriend is still laying in the bed. <laughs> That's right. You know? Um, now, the team members assemble at their Washington, D.C. headquarters, and we meet Vogue and Photon. Shaft is overly snippy with both of them. Well, now, the poor guy did pass up a nooner for this. Uh, by the way, this is about six hours later. Uh, he didn't really need to cut his lunch date short for this thing. No, this is what, six? This is 6.23 p.m. Yeah. The story started at 12.17 p.m. So, yeah. He could have gone home, taken a shower, probably taken a nap if he wanted to. I mean, he had a lot of he time could've. to burn here. Now, the young blood team are informed that by a tight-shirted tech lady... Request for assistance coming in. 
what six hours ago what, what, what was like did they just show up they knew when to show up when the emergency happened somehow you know, she continues it's strong arm engage the four isn't that just two people i that doesn't sound like four i don't <laughs> well yeah but according to vogue they already put two of them away not that we know or care about that wow and you know, it's, while we're on the subject here, it's pretty decent for half of the four to wait six hours. Wow. The, the six hours that it takes for Youngblood to assemble before going on their little rampage. I guess fair is fair, right? They, you know, this, they're not gonna. <laughs> they, they believe in uh, they believe in the in the rules of superhero combat. <laughs> That's right. Uh, cha- <laughs> Chapel sees that and says, "Give you one guess what they're up to." Diehard goes, "I oh, I think we're gonna play him as a robot." Escape attempt. (laughs) Then Shaft goes, then let's move it. That's not quite Avengers Assemble or Titans together, but uh, move it has a certain charm, right? It's okay. It's something, yeah. Sure. Uh, We meet up with the baddies as they attempt to break into an armored car. All the while, a synchronized dance troupe behind, performs behind them. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, if you're if you're if you're standing somewhere where nobody's looking, take both your arms and hold them straight out. And yeah. Like curve your fingers in, like kind of like you're doing the crane kick on Karate Kid, and then like bend forward a little bit. That is what these people are doing. It definitely looks like they don't. They definitely don't look like they're running. They look like they're doing some sort of very complicated ballet. I gotta say, yeah, aerobics or ballet or they're they're dancing. These are these are talented. These are practiced dancers, folks. I, I wouldn't just say mm-hmm. this is not a first a first year uh, dance no. step they're doing. No. This no. is a, a precursor to uh, flash mobs and stuff. That's right. <laughs> running out to <laughs> running out to see young blood. Yes. Uh, strong arm is basically an, is basically X Force villain forearm only with about two the two extra without the two extra arms. Yeah. And without the pupils. Yes. Uh, Gage is a younger cable looking guy armed to the gritted teeth. They call out to their teammates who are on board the rig. Gage says. Deadlock, Starbright, stand back, stand back. Strong arm standing by says, "Hope you two weren't getting too cozy in there." They open the door and holy <laughs> crap! You got to take a look at these two. So what we have here <laughs> is an off-bred hawk hawk guy with arth- arthritis in one of his hands, his right hand, and a blonde woman dressed in golden plates. I, I this costume is unbelievable. Like. I, I can't even describe it. And it's, her thighs. They're, they're so huge compared to every other part of her body, you know? Look uh, at the two of her heads and her thigh. She's clearly, you know, the golden plates makes me think of the Mormon tradition. And I really think she's got to be the, from the future uh, when Probably. we'll all have evolved beyond the need for feet. But you got it. This costume just is beggar's belief. It's like as if, as if you were bundling up to go out in the cold, maybe. But A, you didn't want to wear pants, and B, you couldn't fit into them. All of your clothes were made of gold. That would yes. be kind of how this is. It was. It's very weird. This is amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, no sooner do they break out than Young Blood arrives on the scene. Die Hard makes like an old action figure and bends in half backwards, like you know, like where his his yeah. butt would be his lap, kind of. <laughs> and you have to see this to believe it. And this is definitely a panel that gets called up a lot on the. Uh, you know, crappy um, Liefeld yes. drawings lists or whatever. To be honest, a lot, I found I find that a lot of them come from this very issue. But uh, <laughs> it's very true. This has to be and, seen to believed. And, and I mean, and he even has a little crotch bulge too, which is uh, sure. which is very odd for a Liefeld comic because usually the crotch is just lines. Yeah. Um, now he 
you know, he he jumps. He's in midair as he uh, maybe slams his groin into Strongarm's face. I guess. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell what's going on. Lots of blood here. Yes. Young blood, even. Mm-hmm. Diehard goes, this makes us even. I've been waiting for this day. And this time, you won't be as lucky. What? I don't what, know. What is he even talking about? Do, do, do they know each other? What is, what is happening? You're, you're going to get a lot of that in this book. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, this is followed by a Liefeldian money shot. Chapel is popping a wheelie on a motorcycle. Vogue is lunging forward. And Shaft and Be- Bedrock are just standing still. Yet they're all on the same plane. Uh, so yes. much for such an action-y panel. There really is no movement at all. It's, it looks very static. Yeah, and the synchronized dancers in the background, they're still holding their position. They're the, still in mid-crane kick. I mean, that's what I'm it's, saying. Their cores have got to be very tight. This takes a lot of muscle training, Chris. You can't, you can't just, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, they might be sore tomorrow, but they've been holding this pose for quite a while. Yes, this is living art. Um, <laughs> and then this... <laughs> and that's where the story ends. Unbelievable. It ends with them showing up. It doesn't... There's no closure, no cliffhanger, not even a damn to-be-continued caption. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. It just ends there. I was so confused, too. I was like, what happened? What did I... Like... <laughs> I must have missed something. I don't know what. I I, I probably read this comic three times. Uh, I, I, you know, get your money's worth because I was really <laughs> so confused about what the heck happened there. Yes. And uh, the next page is just a mail-away coupon to join the Rob Liefeld fan club. Yeah, and we're not kidding. If you've got an extra $4.50 in U.S. dollars to burn, you can be a member for one year. You'll get quarterly newsletters for up-to-the-minute <laughs> updates yeah. on your favorite artist. Every quarter. <laughs> yes, you get the up-to-minute. Uh, now, over and under on how many of these quarterly newsletters actually got mailed out. Yeah, I'm going to say nine. <laughs> I feel like nine. Do you, don't you mean none? Uh, it could be none. It's, it's somewhere, but it's definitely between zero. And if someone told me none ever got made, I wouldn't be shocked by that either. Yes. Uh, well, at least that comic book is over. So um, now we're going to talk a little um, bit about. Uh, we're just going to talk about what what Rob Liefeld went on to do. And, you're you're going to want to wait, wait, wait. You're going to want to flip the book over. What? There's a flip book, man. Remember there was a there was a back cover. Oh, There's no. a whole second story if you flip the book over. Oh my god! Don't you want to learn about the Young Blood Away team? No, no, not really. But I guess we're going to have to. <laughs> well, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Getting here is the hardest part, so we got to stick with it. We're going to meet some. New members of the uh, Youngblood squad here. And uh, we're going to throw in the tidbits from the uh, screenplay. Mm-hmm. But we're going to start with a member who isn't in the screenplay. His name is Brahma. Yeah, and he's just a big guy, but they say nothing about they him do. in the screenplay. Uh, there's Riptide. Uh, he, Riptide is a platinum-haired beauty. Tall and leggy, she wears a sleek, full-body leather wetsuit. Her powers enable her to control water and moisture in all its forms. She can create a geyser from a small puddle or dry up the water ducts in your eyes. Perhaps the most powerful member of Youngblood. Wait a minute. How many most powerful members are on this team? They got to be the top. Everything's got to be the top best, Chris. That's how it works. This is like like watching a kid play with their action figures when you get a new one. It's like, oh, this one's the strongest. 
And, and and really, water ducts? Yeah, well, we don't know. Maybe he's, he's he only studied anatomy at, at community college. Remember, he didn't learn everything. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> Next up, we go to photon. Well, we already saw Fot photon. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not in the screenplay anyway. All right, that's easy. Uh, there's sci-fi, also not in the screenplay. Did not make the cut. We go to Sentinel. Sentinel is a tall, charismatic black man. He is the Young Blood Group leader. A former scientist employed to design super exoskeleton apostrophe S for the Young Blood <laughs> program. He built an exosuit specifically tailored to his physiological and physical design. In short order, his high-tech suit will only respond to him. Period. This form-fitting exoskeleton grants him a wide array of powers and abilities, including enhanced strength, flight, and sonic disruptor apostrophe S, emitting sonic waves so potent he can shatter concrete and warp steel. In short, he's Obama in a high-tech suit of armor. Good Lord, that's one of the scariest things I have ever imagined. Yes. Uh, you know, also, so basically also they're saying that he was hired by Youngblood to make exoskeletons for them, and he made one for himself. Yes, I basically. Mean, that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of not, that's sort of messed up, but anyway. Yeah. Then there's Cougar. Uh, not in the flick, but just picture Wolverine with pointy elf ears. Basically the exact same thing. Yeah. Now we open on the Shaft News Network as Rob Liefeld attempts to evoke some Frank Miller-esque storytelling taken from Dark Knight Returns. But esque is the best way to put it. It's just basically a page of, of panels shaped like, you know, television screens. Expositional news. And, uh, yeah. But uh, we got a situation in the Middle East. The brash mustachio dictator... <laughs> Hassan Hussein, remember Seriously. him? Yeah, you don't, you don't you don't remember you don't remember Hassan Hussein? Yeah, well he's he's a and his, to... his son's a Ubi and Doobie. That's right. right. Yeah, you do remember that was in the news. That was huge at the time. Yes. Yeah, uh, he's attempting to forcibly bring together various territories under what he refers to as a holy unification. The president, who I'm assuming is supposed to be George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, though you really couldn't tell from this page, he's sending in a specialized task force in response. Oh, and God. oh boy, did he. Oh, God. What follows may just be the ugliest two-page two spread ever put to paper. I hate Reagan on the yard because it, it is fish in a barrel, but this is very bad. This has so many, like, <laughs> fundamental problems with it, you know what I mean? Like, this, this is a color forms page. It's truly, yeah, it's, this is truly like when you go to art school, they should say, here is every problem you can run into drawing, you know what I mean? <laughs> so here's how we fix these, you know, teach perspective <laughs> yes. and whatever, foreshortening. We anyway. got here, the team has leapt headfirst from a helicopter, except for Combat, who is somehow squatting in midair. He might, his foot is kind of precariously balanced on the panel below. Yeah. So we're wondering if maybe he had, there's some kind of structural integrity there. Um, that's a lot wrong with the page, particularly in terms of perspective. But instead of nitpicking on that, let's nitpick about the obvious character ripoffs we see on this page. We're going to start with uh, Sentinel here. His arms are clearly Colossus, maybe, maybe Cable, maybe... Uh, Garrison Kane from Weapon X. He basically is a black Garrison Kane. He's he's Garrison Kane from Weapon X with GW Bridgehead. Yeah, but that's what this guy is. But but that you know that metal is definitely distilled. I think back. Yeah. It, it could be actually distilled maybe from uh, the the surfer, uh, 
painted comic by Kirby did it, you know. From, Could be. But anyway, but uh, this definitely, I looked at it, I saw lines, I felt like this was definitely Colossus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Combat's helmet sort of has a Galactus feel, but it's yellow, so it might be closer to Amazing Man, but I think, I think definitely <laughs> yes. he was trying to do his Kirby riff here. Definitely. Uh, now we got uh, Sci-Fire, who is a, uh... Basically a a white storm. Yeah. Or no, that's a, that's what's her face. That's Riptide. Riptide oh, is sorry. basically no. Uh, Riptide's basically <laughs> a white storm. Uh, there's Cougar, who like we said, it looks basically like Wolverine with elf ears. Yes, and and Rogue's little white hair stripe. That's right. And of course, there's uh, Brahma, who looks just like people with microcephaly, who you also yes. might know rudely back in the day as pinheads. He's just this massive guy with a little button yes. for a head. Tiny, tiny head. Now, over the next several panels, the Youngblood team is falling from this aircraft while having conversations. They finally land, and then we see combat must be at least 15 feet tall, or Cougar is well under three foot, in which case... Combat is still probably about eight to ten feet tall. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the, the, very least. the variance is ridiculous between them. Combat goes. Briefing didn't say there'd be this many. Cougar replies. Combat, you'll find the briefings never do. We got Sentinel. Way <laughs> Why? In the background. How is he even getting involved in this conversation? He is, he is a dot. And he goes. <laughs> Well, now you two know. We have to secure the perimeter. perimeter. Stat. Combat continues. Hey, I'm not complaining, Sentinel. Got more toy soldiers to play with. War is just a game to you? Yup. Otherwise, it wouldn't be this fun, Coog. Cougar says, I gotta admit. He gets and then fast... he gets fastball special, like Colossus would do to Wolverine. Exactly. exactly. He gets, she gets chucked. <laughs> Cougar says, this gets me pumped. And then there's a close-up just on Coog's face, and then the next panel is too rare for my taste. So he ate a guy? Yeah. How, how did this conversation even get there? It must have been in one gulp, although there is blood on the corner of his mouth, so it's... uh. That might it, be extra hash lines. It's true. Sure. It, it implies he chewed or something. He scraped the guy. We don't know what happened, really. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he just took a nibble. Uh, very weird. Now, Sentinel... <laughs> Who's still somehow involved in this conversation goes, That's because they're not armored. Those come next, Cougar. What does armor have to do with eating rare human meat? Did we did we miss something? Is the armor heated? Is it is it cooking <laughs> the soldiers from the inside out? I don't what happened? I think we might have skipped the page. I feel like it. I feel like this a lot. This is something that comes up a lot in this comic. You're like, I yes. I gotta my copy is defective. There's gotta be a problem here. Uh <laughs> Now we shift to the rest of the B team. That's Brahma, Riptide, and Sci-Fire. Riptide causes a tidal wave to crash on the terrorists, and they're in the desert, by the way. So unless yeah. she used her water ducts here, I had the foggiest idea of how she made that happen. To be fair, though, she does mention that it was difficult. Sci-Fire says, "I should have bought this land. I've always wanted beachfront property, babe." Riptide goes, "Shut up, Sci-Fire." Don't know why. <laughs> she just yeah. yells at him. To just shut yells, up. just gets pissed off. Now, the team heads in the direction of their target, which is pretty much a dump surrounded by tanks. Um, as they approach, they're shocked <laughs> to find that the house is surrounded by an energy field that zaps them good. Sci Fire goes, Oh, you're Sci Fire, aren't you? Yeah, I should have messed this one up, but I'll, I'll do it then. Nice touch, Asad. An energy field that disrupts the synapses. He continues. They never would have thought of it. 
But then again, they didn't have to. Who are they? And what the hell does this statement even mean? I have no idea. I, I think, you know, it's ultimately revealed that he is immune to these, this synaptic whatever the hell. But it's like, you wouldn't know that yet. No, I probably <laughs> don't know it for quite a while to be known how yes. this marches along. But anyway. Uh, suddenly the team, or some of the team, they're no longer affected by having their synapses disrupted. And a fight is on. Sidefire closes his eyes, I I think. Yeah. And monologues about his extreme abilities. <laughs> like how he could have taken out the baddies from the States, but he wanted to do it personally. You know, adding the possibility of civilian casualties, property damage, and personal safety makes it all that much more sweet. That's what we call extremism. It's very, you, know, it you is. gotta do it. It's extreme and maximum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and awesome, I believe, too. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Uh, Combat gets punched in the face by a shapeless robot, knocking off his ridiculous Magneto Galactus Amazing Man helmet and changing the color of his costume somehow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's revealed to be pretty much cable uh, mm-hmm. with a lion-like mane of hair that almost completely surrounds his head. Yeah. Cougar says, Is your little brother beating up on you again? And and this being this book, it might actually be his brother at sure. this point. We don't know. We have no idea. Combat combat replies with, oof. Um, <laughs> get off him, Cougar. This scum is no brother of mine. I'm built for this. I'm built for combat. Yeah. <laughs> now, after KOing the giant shapeless robot, combat goes, get up. I'm not done with you. I want the satisfaction of the kill. Cougar talks combat off the precipice, reminding him that the shapeless glob of robot man, robot beast is just a grunt, so and weird. it's not, and it's not Catella. Ooh, I smell a backstory here. Is that what that is? I have no idea. I, I would <laughs> damn well hope so. Something. Now, meanwhile, Sci-Fi is standing before Saddam Hassan, mm-hmm. and Sci-Fi says, "Don't mess that up." I actually admire you for what you've done here in this backwards country. He continues, it's just that mine pays me more. Huh? What? I, what why are you saying that? I don't understand. Why would you say that? Sam <laughs> is just standing there. He's like, huh? That's not, I mean, it's not, it's not even mean. It's just sort of st- a strange thing to say. Yeah. yeah. This, then he, he then causes Hussein's head to explode. Right. Uh, I enjoy this part of the job. And in caption, this kind of stuff I'll do for free. So brother looking to get paid or not? Yeah. It's a, well, it seems like the, the head busting is no extra charge. The general <laughs> destabilizing of a, of a nation state, that, that does come to with a fee, though. But Yeah, uh, there will be an invoice for that. Now, in the wake of the head's splody death, the remaining members of Youngblood wake up. So maybe some of them were down by the magical electric ray of synaptic doom. They are none too pleased by Sci-Fire's actions, but rather than get upset, we get some, well, there he goes, well, there he goes again. What are we going to do with you type of talk? The issue finally actually does end with the front cover of a USA Today proclaiming that Hussein's reign of terror ended in a suicide. Hussein's photo looks as if they caught him napping. Really, no one has eyes, and I don't think there's one pupil in the entire book, or even no. a circle in the in the whites of the eyes. <laughs> in the eyeball, yeah. I love this part that USA page, Today page also drops a hint at the next Liefeld Project Brigade, as well as a half-hearted dig at Marvel Comics, and the headline says, "Pow, smash, 
Kerplash. Marvel Comics may be head... And it just cuts off right there. That's it. So that is the end of the issue. Uh, that This isn't the first time you read it, right? No, no. You I read it as a young lad, times, but you yeah. you hadn't... This isn't one that you bring out perennially to... Uh, Cruise through no, is what is I'm a... guessing. <laughs> no, this is uh, not a part of my uh, comics comfort food diet. Yeah, this has been this has been locked away. I've never read through the whole thing. I've definitely seen a lot of panels, especially now having read it. I can tell you that, you know, a full a third of those lists or half of those lists that you see about his artwork, they come from this one issue. There's so many. This uh, issue, yeah, yeah, just unbelievable shots of group scenes and action scenes. Just so many crazy. Uh, I mean, to say that he studied anatomy, I think that whoever taught him anatomy should have their credentials checked. That, that That's just a fact of the matter. It's unbelievable. The story is uh, almost incomprehensible. You know, you do have to read it more than once. Yes. But as I told well, you. As you said. Yeah. As, it was, as you said here, he might have been studying the anatomy of the praying mantis. That's, you know what I mean? Like, literally, yeah. It's <laughs> Sometimes it looks like, you know, like there's, the waist is weird. The thighs are... The biggest tree trunks. You never saw a person yeah. with that. Okay, so they have great jumping power, but then their feet are like you know spindles. Um, mm-hmm. All that being said, and and I mean, to say these characters are derivative is just being nice about it. They're straight ripoffs of some of the most yeah. popular characters and characters he'd already ripped off and repurposed before, <laughs> sort of get re-ripped off. You get a little up, a ripoff update. Update. All that being <laughs> said, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. No. I, I think I really expected something where I was just going to want to, like, you know, set fire to the comic and, you know, tell, tell you, I'm sorry, I can't do, you know, there are some bridges, <laughs> I, some bridges I can't cross. Uh, but <laughs> it's it, a bridge I, too far. I had fun. A lot of it was the fun yeah. of laughing at it, you know, definitely. And uh, just just seeing scenes of just unbelievable, uh, I don't know, contortions. Chinese excess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was, it was such like a, it, this is the pure, this is the uncup 90s dope that you've been looking for. If you've never. Yeah, this is a time capsule. I mean, luckily, too, there are plenty of issues out there, folks. You should have zero trouble. Any place that sells back issues worth their salt has plenty for you. They mm-hmm. should cost a buck. What do you say? A buck 50 in like readable condition? Uh, I would say no more than a quarter. Of course. That's, that's always your, you know. Chris always says, if they charge you more than a quarter, punch him in the face. Yeah, you punch him in the face and you, you kick him in the crotch. You know, you, you do the, you know, it's definitely worth a look if you like seeing, if you like a little comedy to your comics and, uh, sure. you know, you have a, you have a little a sensibility about yourself that you can laugh at the 90s era of, of comics. But, uh, mm-hmm. it, it actually, like, it was full of action. I will say that. It I was. wasn't. You don't get bored. You're not watching two talking heads chatter for, you know, six yep. pages or whatever. So, no, this was uh this was definitely and it's like every time I it's 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 Morrisonian in a way because every time I read it I find something I missed the first yeah. time through. I think <laughs> I think I'm gonna have bed. to read it. I, I think I think uh yeah, I mean I mean here's the crazy thing is that I told a friend of mine that I had read it and uh he said, Oh, was there a story in there? And I was just like, you know, <laughs> it's kinda hard to explain, like <laughs> There were actually two stories, and I couldn't really explain either of them to you adequately. Nope. But it, it, there is a story. There is a narrative here. So the synopsis uh, that we put together here might have been the most difficult one we've ever done. Possibly, you know, just really, really delving into it and saying like, "All right, I gotta finally figure this." I bet you've just let a lot of this stuff go to the wayside over the years. Like, whatever. 
uh, but you actually had to go and be like, figure it out. Does this make sense? And then accept the fact that sometimes the answer is no. No. <laughs> it simply does not. Uh, no editorial oversight, folks. Like flying without a net here. That is unfiltered. So, you know, I think we are going to take a break. We've been going for a little while here. So we're going to take a quick break, probably slip in that uh, 501 commercial. That sounds like mm-hmm. a, good, a good addition, and it sounds like that'll uh, give you a break from listening to our wonderful tones for a little while, yes. about 30 seconds, I assume. And uh, <laughs> we'll be right back to wrap up the episode with some uh, final information on Hank Canals, uh, Rob Liefeld, and the Youngblood team. So how long have you been drawing comic books? So I was about seven years old, little kid. What did your parents think about it? They hated it. They hated it. Oh, yeah. After I, I got a job and they saw that you can make a living out of third day, you'll hear no complaints anymore. And you created X-Force? Mm-hmm. So what is the drawing of? This is the Spike Man. And what's this right here? This is the camera on top of your head that will record the wrongdoings of others. So Rob, have you had any formal art training? No. Just uh, a lot of imagination, I think. Wait, so, so I say it and then look down? Or just open it and say, fly button. Welcome back, you fly buttoners. We are uh, ready to continue our talk on Youngblood number one. We are going to talk about Hank Canals, the scripter. Uh, Not a whole lot on this guy, so uh, we're basically going to read you a little bit from his wiki page. Sure. Um, He was a journeyman comic, comic book writer during the late 80s and into the 90s, mostly at Malibu Comics. Uh, perhaps most notable for creating the iconic image eye logo. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the director of worldwide theme parks for Warner Brothers. He uh, would go on to join Wildstorm as general manager in 2004. And he is currently, as we mentioned, the senior vice president of Vertigo and Integrated Publishing at DC Comics. He was promoted to that position on December 21st, 2012. Hmm. Well, a, he he made, made good for himself, I guess. think so. Now we're going to talk about uh, the Rod Liefeld and the rest of his illustrious career to date, because he still is a working comics artist and creator. Now, the way Image Comics worked was that each artist had their own studio that collected under the Image banner pretty much to, to, collectivize, to collectivize their distribution and production you know, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that obviously will get into cause some problems uh, later on, but... Largely due to Rob. Anyway, uh, Rob's studio was called Extreme Studios, and he ran an open call for new artists. And one that responded was uh, hired by hired by Rob was named Dan Frega, who incidentally and not really relevant to anything, wrapped under the name Frega Boom. Mm-hmm. Just uh, so people know that. Now, at this time in the early '90s, Rob really, you know, these guys had become celebrities, you know, and I'd say they broke into the mainstream as much as you could humanly expect a. Uh, comic book artist to break into the mainstream, quite frankly. Absolutely. Um, he had this commercial film, like we talked about with Spike Lee, and he was hanging out with Easy E, right? Like shortly before Easy E passed away from AIDS, Easy E even gave him like an early copy of his last album. Uh, so I think Rob was feeling a bit, you know, high on himself and maybe a little bit thugged out. You know, things were mm-hmm. things were a little gangsta in his world. So. On one occasion, he slapped Dan Fraga in front of his 12-year-old brother for fighting with a colleague in the studio. They had... He backhanded him. He backhanded him, and they dispute... <laughs> it was a dispute over leaving ink on each other's tables. It was the silliest something thing. Something silly, yeah. And then during the Extreme Tour 95, yes, that's something that they could actually do is tour. These, these comic book artists would actually go on tours. There was also, I believe, uh, McFarlane did one, too, or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever he called his... Um, he choked and or slammed Fraga into a wall. So, 
He was a little bit tough. This was the tough yeah. times in comics. Now, in 1996, Rob would return to Marvel Comics. Uh, Rob and Jim Lee were uh, they were asked to helm the the Heroes Reborn line of comics uh, from Marvel that spun out of the ginormous X Men event onslaught. Yeah, and Marvel was uh, on the ropes at this time. We should say. Yeah, you know, they were they they needed uh, some juice. Was this after the bankruptcy or before it? I think it was right in the midst. I think it was right in the middle of it. Yeah, so they yeah. they were looking for anything to juice some sales out of them. Yeah, so uh, they this is where they actually pulled titles. They they killed off quote unquote several heroes and moved them into a pocket dimension here. Uh, Rob would be responsible for Captain America and the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Lee would take on Iron Man and the Fantastic Four. Now those are four titles, not Iron Man and the Fantastic Four. That um, sounds interesting. I kind of want to read that anyway. I, you know, I'm sure that's probably the only way they'd bring the Fantastic Four back, <laughs> at four back point, these days. At this point, yeah. <laughs> Have Iron Man and uh, Rocket Raccoon be the. Uh, <laughs> um, now apparently, Mark Silvestri was Marvel's first choice to cross the aisle back with Lee, but he turned them down. Because uh, he was, you know, Top Cow Comics was his uh, was his little fiefdom, and that was starting to really take off. Yeah. Uh, this would wind up stirring up a little bit of heat between Mark and Rob. Rob was set, set to take over the titles for one year. However, he was pulled from the project after only six months. And yes, this is the project that gave us that infamous big booby shot of Captain <laughs> That's America. That's right. Probably maybe the one most infamous uh, yeah. Liefeld image. Although reading this comic, you see how he kind of fell into that same <laughs> trap several times. A couple yes. of people, their torsos get really weird and their pecs are a little enlarged. Yes, they, they're into they're into that uh, engorging or whatever it is. Uh, now, Rob's titles were given to Jim Lee to finish out. Uh, I think like James Robinson came on to script one. Uh, Jeff Loeb was, went, was in there too. Uh, Rob claimed at the time that he quit Marvel again. Hmm, very interesting. Yes. Uh, this found him make sort of back an image in a way uh, for a little while. Uh, he opened up his second own image independent studio. This was Maximum Press, but he allegedly used image dollars to do so, plus image owned art, and eventually image artists from top poached from Top Cow. Already there was beef between him and Silvestri, uh, so this was not going to work over go over well. Uh, he attempted to raid top talent. Michael Turner away from Top Cow, uh, that imprint. And Rob maintains that Turner approached him due to feeling that he was being underpaid by Top Cow. This caused Silvestri to temporarily leave Image. The Image founders held a vote to boot Rob from the company, but they accepted his resignation over a conference call. Can you imagine that being yeah. in that room, taking that call? Uh, it yeah. sounds very uncomfortable. Before like actually, mafia, almost. <laughs> then, they, then they fired him anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and, and and like the minute he left, Silvestri came back. That was just to make it clear that that truly was the only reason. There was no other problem. He just once Blyfeld was gone, Mark came walked right back over. And they hadn't even painted over his parking spot. Yet. Probably not. <laughs> now, after leaving Image, Rob took all of his experience from running Extreme Studios and Maximum Press, and he parlayed that into his next publishing venture, Awesome Comics. He relaunched Youngblood with, of all people, Alan Moore writing. Wow. Yeah, it was a like a murder mystery, and I, I don't want to spoil who gets killed, but someone gets killed. Mm. One of the people that we just met and fell madly in love with. Uh, now, all was hunky-dory until Rob accused Alan—get this, he, he accused Alan Moore of purposefully holding back and not doing his best work on Youngblood. Unbelievable. Like, why— Can you imagine that? Why would you— it's, <clears throat> 
messed up thing to accuse somebody of, you know? It's like, geez. And that's a messed up thing to accuse anybody of, much less friggin' Alan Moore. Alan Moore, like, this, anyway, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, Alan, Alan Moore could have, like, scribbled in hieroglyphs on his book, and it's like, good enough. Yeah, well, you know? I mean, look at what it's coming from, for for goodness sakes, you know what I mean? Like, you know, did, did Alan Moore actually have, like, characterization and plot? Yeah, well, all right. <laughs> Well, this this uh, obviously caused more to leave Youngblood, but also it's alleged for the reason why he left traditional superhero comics overall. Yeah. Um, so if you're wondering why we don't have any more Alan Moore superhero work, we know who to blame. Yeah. <laughs> now, later on in the 90s, Rob's uh, financial backers took a hike and Awesome was no more, which brought him back to Marvel. Of course, his <laughs> yeah. old home. Yes, he uh, did some work on Cable and on Deadpool and on Wolverine comics. This includes an issue of Cable that is so horrible that even to this day, nobody has claimed credit for writing it. Wow. Seriously. Oh, man. <laughs> Cable number 75, cover date January 2000, was to feature like the be-all and end-all battle between Cable and Apocalypse. This, has been, this was being built up since Cable first appeared almost a decade earlier. Oh, my God. The issue is garbage. Uh, and it opens and closes with Cable in captivity, like he's chained to a wall. <laughs> so the whole issue didn't matter because you end up right where you started. And and it was an oversized issue. There were promises that this was the issue. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, uh, the creator returning to his character, right? This is a big yes, deal. Who, who's yep, going to know absolutely. it better than him? But yeah, yes. wow. And uh, nobody nobody owned up to writing this piece. That's unbelievable. Though <laughs> it is credited to Joe Pruitt, who... Uh, he was he was not a he didn't write all that much. He wrote some stuff like a lot of fill-ins for like X-Men Unlimited and uh like off months for cable and maybe what is it, the other one there? Maybe like an Excalibur issue or something. Yeah. Uh but he blames it on Rob. Um and Rob blames it on Joe. Well, he's good at that. And, Yes, nobody knows who wrote this. I, I, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I wrote it. Um now Another year, another publishing house. This is Arcade Comics. In 2003, Rob, along with a, another publisher named Jimmy J, started another publishing house, Arcade Comics. They published a few issues of Youngblood, written by Mark Miller, with uh, off of a Kurt Busiek plot. Wow, I mean, that's a good pedigree. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about Kurt Busiek for right. a second. <laughs> Way back in 1993, Busiek sent Rob some Youngblood plots. This would have been like a Youngblood year one. And, you know, but as you can see from reading Youngblood number one, it doesn't need any backstory. Oh, no. It's as, it's as good as it's going to no, be. It's, it's, it's pretty clear what's going on up front with totally everybody. Totally self-explanatory. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, in 2000, Rob solicited a book called Youngblood colon Genesis and name dropped Busiek as one of the writers. Kurt wanted it to be crystal clear <laughs> that he only plotted the story. Maybe not even, you know, it might just be inspired from his plot. <laughs> uh, perhaps not wanting to get wound up on in some Liefeldian drama. Uh, it doesn't much matter because Youngblood Genesis only went two issues. The third and fourth were to heavily feature Image and Wildstorm characters, which Rob did not have the rights to, and at the time, I doubt he would have gotten the permission to use. What a seasoned publisher, right? He seems yes. to understand the ins and outs of the industry. <laughs> and I mean, let's let's be let's be honest for just a second here. It is hard to write three or four consecutive issues of a single comic book, right? Well, I do I do consider that a feat in today's market, but yeah, this is, that's a <laughs> this little, is true. That's, this is a little a little much to not be able to put out a four issue miniseries, but uh, yes. That's our Rob. Now, in 2006, guess where he went? 
Where'd he go? Back to Marvel. Oh. He was part of the Heroes Reborn slash Onslaught 10-year anniversary thing, which proves that Marvel will celebrate just about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did some Cable and Deadpool covers and maybe some interiors, but, you know, not too much over there at that time. 2007, back to Image. Hey. Uh, he rejoined Image, and Youngblood is back at where it began with writer Joe Casey, who would rescript the four ish- first four issues of the original Youngblood before starting the ongoing. So they're rescripting. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, on- <laughs> the ongoing that, of course, you can go get an issue of that right now, folks. We've seen plenty <laughs> of Youngblood comics. Uh, in 2011, he, he returned to DC Comics, of all places, for their yeah. initiative, the New 52, uh, that started in September of 2011. And the very property that he first ever got his, his break on, Hawk and Dove, uh, that lasted eight issues before cancellation. Yeah. Uh, at that point, he was inexplicably given control of three more titles, Deathstroke, Grifter, who was originally a Wildstorm guy, right? Yep. And Savage Hawkman, which was, uh, I remember the third one most, and that was, that was hard to read. It was very painful. It was. Uh, eventually, he would quit very acri- under acrimonious circumstances due to quote-unquote creative differences and that's something you hear a lot when you read about rob liefeld uh it led to an infamous twitter beef it was between you know people i i I wrote it differently here but uh, people remember it being between liefeld and scott snyder but it actually began between liefeld and tom brevoort of marvel uh making fun of the editor of of uh well rob was rob was making fun of the editor of savage hawkman who was paul something or other uh Stood up for him. Then Scott was DMing him on Twitter. This is all a whole Twitter thing. This was a big deal on the internet at the time. Yeah, um, I'm sure Bleeding Cool has the transcripts. They absolutely do. And of course, Tom Brevoort kept kept on in there, and that's just because he has to. He can't stop once he starts. He's got to keep can't control himself needling. <laughs> um, and at the same time, Rob, Rob Liefeld and Robert Kirkman announced their new series at, at Image called The Infamite, which was also never finished due to creative differences yes now moving into the recent past here we got um in 2013 rob started up a kickstarter to bring back brigade and provide copies for free it's been backed by 562 people two of which paid between 3500 and 5000 dollars wow ay 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 um And, uh, you know, uh, how are you liking the new Brigade? Oh, sure. Oh, God, I think I read it five times. I liked it so much. It was great. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I read it a bunch of times. It only took me about a minute because there's only six <laughs> yeah. uninked pages that have surfaced at, uh, to date. Yep. Um, now, his old 90s characters have resurfaced at Image, written by the likes of uh, Tim Seeley and Brandon Graham. Uh, he's also done a bunch of random covers for Image. Uh, early next year, he will provide a variant cover for Inhumans vs. X-Men No. 1, which may just imply that we're going to be seeing a little bit more from him uh, in uh, Marvel. But look at this. He's uh, back at Marvel again. It seems like he mm-hmm. can always go back to one or the other if he has to, Image yes. or Marvel. Uh, now, of course, there's something big happened to Rob Liefeld just this year, again, in 2016. He had a little bit of Hollywood time. Uh, the Deadpool movie came out. I think that was February or March of this year. Did February, very, yeah. Did very well. Uh, in 2004, New Line Cinema, they began developing a Deadpool movie with Ryan Reynolds in the title role, written by David S. Goyer. We know Goyer best. He's a screenwriter for all the DC Comics movies that have come out recently, going back to Christopher Nolan's uh, Batman Begins. So this is he's been basically the DC movie 
scripter and kind of handler for, well for everything. For a decade, yeah. yeah, for quite a while now. Uh, and Ryan Reynolds expressed interest in playing the character when Deadpool was described as looking like Ryan Reynolds crossed with a Sharpay in Cable and Deadpool number two, cover dated June 2004. Uh, David Goyer lost interest in Deadpool while they were developing it for other things, probably the Batman Begins film that we're talking about. Uh, in 2005, 20th Century Fox picked up the project, and it was right about now Liefeld began piping up about this film on the internet. I mean, you know, it's obvious why he wanted it to be made. He created the character, and he's going to get some kind of royalties. There's that famous story of Rob uh, about to leave Marvel, and he's just writing all of his characters he's created on this contract. He's, he's worked up with them. So uh, he gets something out of it. Yeah. But since this is Rob Liefeld, people didn't take him at his word about it. You know, he was talking about this movie in development for so long, it became kind of a running gag. Uh, and with good reason, it would be 11 years before the movie debuted. Yeah. Came out February 12th, 2016 in the U.S., a little bit earlier in France. And in the interim, Rob was online being bailed by quote-unquote haters and stunting his involvement with the movie's production. But even those haters had to be stilled after Deadpool came out since it grossed almost $800 million worldwide and broke several box office records. Crazy. Now, Liefeld did an interview. He was on the interview circuit at the time, and in a New York Times profile, he said about the character co-creator uh, Fabian Niciesa, and we quote, If a janitor scripted New Mutants number 98, he'd be the co-creator. That's how it works, buddy. Deadpool does not exist in any way, shape, or form without me. He continues, I wrote the stories. Like Jim Lee and others, I worked with the scripter who helped, scripter who helped facilitate. I chose Fabian, and he got the benefit of the Rob Liefeld lottery ticket. Wow. Those are good coattails to ride. What a humble guy. You know? But you, you, you got to understand here, this was all quoted out of context. Right. Yeah. Right? Sure. Uh -huh. And uh, he eventually smoothed things over with Nisiesa afterwards. And I'm sure the big pile of money had a little bit to do with it. Yeah. I mean, he would get those some kind of royalties also, whatever the writer, writer's entitled to or the scripter. So he's probably I would cool. Have, <laughs> I'd love to see the New York Times guy. It's like, yeah, I chose Fabian. Who? Yeah, really? Who? Yeah. Just like Jim Lee did. Who? What? Say Who's what? a Jim Lee? Yeah. Yeah, he had no idea what he was talking about. No. Uh, just uh, this is a little tidbit I wanted to add that uh, Rob Liefeld it. is married to Joy Creel, one of a set of triplets that includes Leanna Creel, who was Tori during that weird last half season of Saved by the Bell, where Kelly yep. and uh, Jesse disappeared, and Tori, uh, that was her name. She came in. She was the leather jacket wearing, you know, bike riding. Yeah. yeah, tough girl. Uh, she's also credited with introducing Kirk Cameron to his confrontation style of evangelical Christianity, which is called Way of the Master. And uh, mm. I recommend everyone go look at wayofthemaster.com for not only some hectoring, uh, angry Christianity, but for some excellent site design. Really, very, nice. very good. I thought that was a Bruce Lee movie. I, you think it was, and they, they've repurposed it now <laughs> for confrontational evangelical Christianity. There you go. Uh, now that we're done with Rob, we're going to go talk about Youngblood, 1992 and beyond. In an interview with Hero Illustrated number four, or here, an interview that appeared in Hero Illustrated number four, October 1993, Liefeld conceded disappointment with the first four issues of Youngblood, calling the first issue a disaster. He blames production problems and poor scripting on his friend Hank Canals. Oh. Now, we got this quote here that it's, I, I don't know if they interviewed him while he was falling asleep or waking <laughs> up, because this is, a, this is kind of a mess. 
Youngblood number one was a disaster, period. End of story. Put it behind me. It will always exist, but disaster. I worked with a friend who I let go after that, who scripted the book. And when we reprint the first four issues, or zero through four, the whole thing probably will be rescripted, and the people will see how different, a different script on top of it. I did not write that. People, I was doing what I did on X-Force. I plotted it, and Fabian Niciesa would come in and script me on X-Force. I plotted Youngblood number one and wanted two stories on each side. Little things like To Be Continued didn't get stamped down in the right places. I mean, it was a production problem, but the writing, you know, the whole package. I look back and go, you know, never going to shake it that I acknowledged that it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. Two, three, and four, it was great. Two, three, and four, I'll hold them up against any other comic book in terms of there's a story going along and the characters are wrapped up in it. Battle one large villain character, and it was resolved. What the hell is that? What Was that English? I'm not sure. I, I think it might have been like one of those, uh, who was that writer who uh, who would just like cut up sentences and like shape them onto, uh, like put them on the floor? Oh, and I know who you mean. Order? Oh, goodness. Yeah. I, I can't remember who. I, I don't know you talking I think about. That's, I, actually, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he used that for the actual comic book, too. That might Maybe have worked he, that way. This, this might have been an artistic thing. It's true. I mean, it, it is sort of Kerouacky, <laughs> and, you know, sort of a stream that's, of that's consciousness. Thinking, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he seems like he's an editor, even in his storytelling and finger pointing. I also have to yes. bring up that, you know, but you know, more recently he's talking about Fabian Nicienza, like you know, he just happened to be there along for the Deadpool ride, but suddenly in this quote, he talks about the importance of a scripter. So he's a treasured asset. Yeah. It depends, you know, depends what you look at. Now, Youngblood, the first series, was published. Uh, they published ten issues plus a zero, over three. Years. Oh, but it was worth to wait for every issue, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Every last and issue. And I will never find out. Uh, then after that, <laughs> Youngblood Strike File ran for 11 issues. Team Youngblood ran for 22 issues, September 93 to April 96. And Youngblood Volume 2, that was necessary, ran for another 11 issues from September 95 to December 96. The issues published were 1 through 10 and 14. Issues 11, 12, and 13 never happened. Why? Nope. I don't know. You can't make it up, though. I, I, why would you? I don't. Hello. Anyway, uh, 14 was published under Maximum Press without the image logo. Youngblood Volume 3 ran for two entire issues. Whoa. This is the uh, awesome comics with Alan Moore in the writer's chair. Youngblood Volume 4 ran for nine issues from January of 2008 to July of 2009. It started... I, I, can you have two issues of a comic as a volume? I mean, come on. You know, that's, that's not even a trade. You're not even you're getting any... What is this, anyway? Not even an oversized issue. No. Uh, now, this started with a rescripting of the original Youngblood miniseries by writer Joe Casey. Also included a new ending. It wrapped up with one of those uber-fashionable Obama covers that were so big at the time, <laughs> only coming in, coming out about a half year after the election. Yeah, he kind of missed the rush, uh, I yeah. think, but all right. <laughs> now, Youngblood Volume 1 mm. continued in 2012. Using voodoo math, <laughs> they <laughs> resumed publication on Youngblood Volume 1 with May 2012's issue number 71. Sure, why not? You know, it only had 10 issues in the beginning, right? But we'll just... Uh... Well, I... All you that know, interim it, stuff, yeah. This was so important that it actually ran for eight issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it ran until issue number, the landmark, milestone, issue number 78. Oh, God. Uh, there are attempts online where folks try to kind of decode this, try to figure out how they came up with, volume, with issue number 71. 
what was left out, what was included. Maybe they threw some X-Force in there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> now, clearly, Team Youngblood and Youngblood Strike File would have to be in there j just somewhere to get that high number. Yeah. Because if they used books just called Youngblood, this would have been issue like 31, 32. I mean, he might be throwing Brigade in there. It could be anything. It might you be. Know? It could be. The, it really could One be. appearance in an issue of Spawn? I don't know. Sure. Yeah, that might count in there, too. Yeah, they, they mentioned him somewhere. Or they joke. <laughs> Maybe even a write-up in Comics Journal made it into this thing. <laughs> and the Extreme Art Book is probably one of the You know, the, the Wizard Spotlight, so they all are included <laughs> in this right here. So, uh, yeah, that's it's, it's unbelievable. And, of course, we're not done we're not yet, done are yet. we? No. <laughs> Nope, and uh, it was just uh, announced this past summer that in 2017, Youngblood would be coming back. Although I would say with Rob Liefeld, you, you can only believe it when you see it. You know, yes. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't set aside that money right yet. You know, if it, <laughs> you could probably still get some use out of it even through the uh, next year. But, but that, with as much fun as we've had, I think I will still be there to pick it up. Of course. Well, you know, that is that is your compulsion, and I will be yes. there to laugh at it. Hopefully you'll send me some screenshots or something. I don't think I'm going to need to grab that, but this was a, a good experience for me, I think, to see a true, you know, dyed-in-the-wool 90s comic. There's no, no pulling punches. This isn't a parody. I said to you at one point, I was like, this is like a parody. Yes. Of a of a of a '90s comic, but it it's the perfect '90s comic. It's got all of the tropes, all of the, you know, jokes that people say about them, how they're written and how they're drawn. Uh, earnest in its execution. And you know, I'll tell you, people from my generation and older tend to revile these comics, but people your age and sometimes going skewing a little younger, this was your the meat of your comics fandom. So this you sort of have a nostalgic take on this connection yeah and uh so we would like to hear from people that also have a take on it what their connection to this comic is if they've read it or if you have avoided it because you uh have heard such horrible things or read one of those Liefeldian lists of art yes. uh you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com you can also read our writings every week in some form or fashion on weirdsciencedccomics.com follow me uh, on twitter at reggie reggie and I'm at Ace Comics. And I say every week, you got to go check out Chris's personal blog. That's Chris is on InfiniteEarths.blogspot.com. You've really been on a roll lately. You've had the uh, 12 days of Christmas, yes. and there's been some fabulous books uh, being <laughs> rolled out. Mm -hmm. Books right after my own heart, you know, books with a real yes. sense of humor about them. So uh, put you all in the Christmas cheer. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw you. I saw you teasing the Superman and the Quick Bunny. I don't think you did. You do that one yet? I don't think you. Oh, that one was old. That's an old one. That's because an I was old running one. a little behind. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to sh you had to shift it out. But I but I was reading uh, uh, at least two of them this week, and I you hmm. know it's uh, good. But definitely put you in the Christmas mood, folks. So make sure you sure. go check that out. And uh, I think that's all we got for him this week. I think we were all bloodied up as much as we're going to get. Uh, you yes. got anything else for him? Just, uh, you know, the cautionary warning to keep your fly buttoned. That's right, at all times. <laughs> and uh, until next time, I want you to keep it on the treadmill extremely. See you. I had visions, I was in them, I was